God is the one who saves. And in the, in the, even in the video today, salvation comes from the Lord. And so repentance is essential if you're going to embrace God's heart. You see, if God is these things, what is the big, quick, big picture? What is the big picture of God's heart? There is a plan and God's plan should be ours. You see, all of Jonah has been leading up to seeing his plan and Jonah's attitude towards it. See, if we look at God's big picture plan, and as we do that today, I think there's three points that I want us to see. Two are kind of the background to what we see in Jonah. See, as we look at God's heart, we see it has never changed. You see, when God established his people with Abraham, he made promises. I didn't put the verses up on the screen, but let me just read to you um, Genesis chapter 12, because it is really important background to what's going on with Jonah, a prophet of this God. See, in Jonah chapter 12 is when God decides he is going to put his plan in motion through a people that he's going to make his own. He establishes it with Abraham and he says, The Lord has said to Abram, Go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. They're going to have a great land. And I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. That's great. But it goes on. I will bless those who bless you and curse, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And for today, the promise established right at the beginning, verse 3, and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. When God put his plan into motion, the plan that has never changed, right from the beginning, he said, when I establish my people, it is from my people, blessings will go to others. Nothing has changed. God has promised land, a great offspring for his people, and they are not just going to be blessed themselves, they're going to be a blessing to the nation. And here we've got a, a prophet of this God who's got this plan in place, a prophet who's supposed to speak the words of God who's established this covenant with his people. And his understanding seems to be lacking because this plan has never changed. You see, the plan, A, God makes people in his image, image bearers. We know how that's a problem and it's broken and people have rejected God. So B, God makes a people, a people for himself, who he will redeem, who he will rescue. And then C, from those people, they will be a blessing to the nations and more people from, from the nations will come into being God's people. That's what God's plan is that's never changed. The question is, how does this happen? And the Old Testament is the shadow of all of this taking place as Israel plays out the drama. And then we know that it actually takes place in Christ, in the New Testament. But this hasn't changed. 
And so when we see God acting to rescue Nineveh, a nation outside, this is, this is not a surprise. Wow, God had his own people. Why did he bother with them? But he'll, his people will be a blessing to the nations. His plan has never changed, but we need to nuance it a little bit further. You see, he's focused on one plan. It's not just that his plan doesn't change. All the details, he hasn't had to problem solve because things get mixed up. I don't know at work, I don't know if your workplace, when you've worked um, at any time, you've never had a problem that, you, that you've had to replan how things work out. Has anyone had that happen? Then you've gone, oh, this is totally messed up now, we're going to have to try plan B. Has anyone not ever had to do that? No, we always have to do that. We set out for something and then we've got to come up with another way. This is not what God is doing here at Nineveh or anywhere else. It's not he had plan A and that's not working, but he's going to keep to his one plan, so he'll come up with another way of doing with, you know, options B and then no, option C, and then finally we get to option triple Z and Jesus turns up. It's not a backup. It's not like my photos that, to be honest, um, in this digital age, I've got it such a mess over that I'm trying to rectify and I've backed them up in all different places and now uh, last night I'm trying to back them up onto uh, Google Photos and there's 8,000 photos that are backing up and that's taking forever and I'm trying to find them all. It's doing my head in and I've got plans A, B, C and D. I'm trying to make sure I don't delete them all because I don't think Jim would be happy with that. Um, all the photos, I need to keep on trying to figure out how to back up. That's not how, Jesus, uh, how God is operating with his plan. It hasn't changed and it's one plan. People, his people were always going to be a blessing. And we need to keep this in mind when we see how Jonah operates. You see, this is the background to God's heart. You see, his heart is a missionary heart. It is a missionary heart. God has a plan. That is what chapter 4 verse 2 is highlighting that Jonah despises. His grace and compassion is expressed in his mission to others. You see, here we are at Nineveh and God's mission is to deal with sin with grace. And Jonah has constantly needed a lesson on God's heart. This theological racist needs changing. Have a look with me in chapter 4 of Jonah to see God's heart. You see, we see that in the theme that I've just mentioned. But as we go through, as Jonah's needing the lesson, after he tells God he's angry, God kind of gently says to him, first of all, in our verse 4, the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? It's kind of, well, do you really think, Jonah, does that really make sense what you're doing? He's, Jonah, we know, says, of course it makes sense what I'm doing. I have every right to be angry. You see, they're not on the same page. They're not even reading the same book. And so what does God do? He still needs a lesson and so we get this this moment in verse 5 where Jonah goes to sit out on the hill to see what happens to Nineveh, maybe hoping they'll go back to their evil ways and God will judge them um, justly as they, as they uh, reject his, repent- his um, grace. But as he's there, verse 6, 
the Lord God provided a plant or a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade uh, for his head to ease his discomfort. God gave Jonah the plant. Jonah didn't tend to it. He did nothing for it. And he was happy about it. His oppression from the heat was, uh, was alleviated. But look at verse 7, what God does. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided scorching heat. He provided and he took away. He provided alleviation from the oppression of the heat and then he provided oppression in the heat. God is the one who provided for Jonah and took away. Jonah's response is kind of absurd and ridiculous and we'll get to that later as we examine our hearts. But God says to him, do you have any right to be angry about this vine which you've done nothing towards? He concludes in verse 10 and 11, you have been concerned about this plant though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about this great city? You did nothing, Jonah, and and you're angry about the vine. It's negligible, the importance of this plant. Look at these people. They're significant to me. And I'm not getting anything from them. You're getting something from the plant. I'm getting nothing from them. But my heart and compassion for them, they lack discernment. Their discernment is so bad, they are wicked. And we, we've talked about how wicked they were. They're a significant people. They're a large city. Many people are in this city. They are helpless. Should I not be concerned about that great city? A missionary heart. For a people that is lost is God's heart. So, as we're confronted with God's heart, that is the question. Is it yours? It's what we need to move to if we read Jonah and want to take on board God's message to us. It's why each week we are wrestling with God's heart and then confronting our own. It's why the book purposely finishes unresolved. Jonah does not turn back up. It ends with God saying, I care for this city. It's leading us to respond. Do we? And so we need to examine our hearts one final time in this series. And as we examine our hearts one final time, we ask the question, is my heart God's missionary heart? And we do that, I think, first of all, by considering Jonah one last time. Why was Jonah's heart so far from God? It perplexes me. It perplexes me. Maybe he was just ignorant or naive. Maybe he was unwise to God. 
But the background that we talked about, he's a prophet of God. He's been given the words of God. He knows what it is to be part of God's people. He knows that that is a covenant relationship which God has established the covenant very clearly. He knows the history of his people. He knows the way that God acts. He's not ignorant or naive. He's not unwise to who God is because he declares with great clarity God's grace and compassion and he's slow to anger. Rather, he doesn't like God and the way he is. You see, Jonah's motives are revealed. He wanted God's grace for himself, but not for others. Look at verse 9. I do, he said, I am angry enough to die. That's his response to God's grace. That's his response to God giving him a little illustration and example. There's this amazing, disturbing twist in this passage in chapter 4 that I didn't pick up on until I um, uh, read someone pointed out to me. Jonah is as happy as he is angry. In chapter 1, oh, sorry, verse 1 of chapter 4, he was greatly displeased. And then in um, verse 6, Jonah was very happy. The greatly and the very, or however it is in, in the Bible translation you read, they're the same. They're the same emphasis. Just as ecstatic as he is in verse 6, he is as angry with God's grace. That, is, that contrast is amazing. He has joy over little more than shade, comparable to disdain for God's grace. This quote from a guy named Simon, his surname, uh, I found really helpful. Jonah's egotism and banality reach new depths when he becomes enraged explicitly over a vine. Yeah, I have good reason. Of course I do. It's egotism and banality. Jonah has completely lost it. Jonah does not understand that actually, while he's a prophet of God, his greatest enemy is God. When he was saved in the fish... He gave a prayer of deliverance. When he is confronted with God's grace, with the message that he brought to Nineveh, he would rather die. What Jonah hates is God's way. He is a theological racist the hated God's grace, was completely selfish, had a callous heart and rejected God's compassion. Is any of this hidden? Is any of this maybe brazenly out in the open in your life? I think Jonah has confronted me with the need to go back again and again to the way that I speak, to the way that I think and what I do. 
When someone said before, confronted how God's grace and compassion is one of action. Yeah, 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 and I love God's grace and compassion. And look at all my response to that. That's challenging for us and should be rightly confronting so we can be encouraged to turn to God's heart. Jonah's petulant, absurd, nonsensical rebellion has come to an end when God concludes his behaviour with his character, which I've already read out to you in verses 10 to 11. Jonah doesn't finish the story, God does. He finishes it with that last sentence which sums it all up. Should I not be concerned about that great city? I love these people. They are on a road to destruction. That is my heart, Jonah. That is God's heart, brothers and sisters. But this book of Jonah points all Christians to mission. I think that's what we're seeing. You see, this heart should not be a surprise to us. It is the Christian heart. If the plan and mission of God does not change, if it's the same plan, we should not be surprised. We should not be surprised that last week when we saw the one greater than Jonah himself, Jesus, say he has come and he is the one who provides grace and he does it all, we should not be surprised how he ends his gospel in Matthew 28. I'm sure many of you know it. What does he say in Matthew 28? Can anyone tell me the the vibe of it? How does he end it? Exactly. Go tell all the world. Make disciples in my name. We should not be surprised by that. This has always been the plan. I could have ended today going into depth about Matthew 28 and having a look at how Jesus tells us to go and make disciples. But instead, I, I chose to want to show you my favourite example of the New Testament mission heart. When Paul talks to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5. What I want to do, I'm going to read it through and then just point out how this heart is expressed, what we see in Jonah in God's heart. It's up on the screen and let me read it to you and point out how great this heart is that Paul expresses and how we should see it is who we are to be. Since then that uh, we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade men, not run away like Jonah did. We want to persuade What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us, so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. I love that idea of it's for God, and it or out of our mind, but it doesn't matter. We're doing it for God, we're doing it for you. Verse 14, the centrepiece of a Christian heart. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who, sh- who live should no longer live for themselves, 
but for him who died for them and was raised again. This is all for him. Do you see this centerpiece? The Christ love compels. God's love compelled Jonah as well, but to turn away from him. Jesus on the cross, who died for our sins, compels us not to accept, not just to accept it for ourselves, but to want to see others embrace it. He's throwing us towards us. It's Paul saying, it's, I, I can't do anything else. I'm just compelled. I've got to do it. So from now on in verse 16... We regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We have a ministry. And it is that people can be reconciled to God and therefore be reconciled with God's people This is our task. It's a spectacular vision that he has. And so it's summed up beautifully in the end of the chapter. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Do you see that there? To be Christ's ambassador. See, an ambassador is someone who promotes what they represent, whether it's a country, whether it's some kind of product, whatever it is, they say, this is the thing. I'm all for this. Are you all for Jesus? Are you all for others thinking, I should be all for Jesus? We are Christ's ambassadors. This is the Christian heart that love compels. It throws us, it throws us out. It's for God and for his people. It's a ministry of reconciling, of coming back together, and it's because we represent God, Jesus himself. This is what Jonah did not get. This is what he despised. How does it sit with you? Are you tempted to say, oh, it's it's, it's okay. I'm a Christian, but this, in this intense way that you're talking about it, is just too much. Can I graciously say to you that you have a problem, if that's what you're thinking? There is no other alternative for God's people but to have this heart. Your passion and mission in life is not to defeat your siblings, it's to represent Jesus. But if you're going to represent Jesus, there's something you need to remember. And Paul can't help but always throw it back in and he does that at the end of uh, this great uh, vision of the heart of the Christian. You need to be a Christian. First of all, you need to be reconciled to God. We are Christ's ambassadors, as though God's making his appeal through us. But have a look at these next verses. If you're not a Christian today, God is saying to you, be reconciled to me. 
God made him who had no sin, Jesus himself, who's done nothing wrong, to be sin for us. Jesus, who did nothing wrong, has died so that you, who aren't reconciled with me, can be because all of your sin will be placed on him at the cross. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you're here today and you see all this talk of the Christian heart and you think it makes no sense to you, it's because first of all you need to decide, do you want a relationship with God? You just need to turn to Jesus and trust that he has taken on your sin and your heart by his spirit changes and you now from this point on live a life passionate about love that compels, about being his ambassador. You see, mission equals a heart for people like God. And so as we finish this series, what is Trinity South Coast's heart to be? Are you desperate for people to love Jesus? I don't mean, are you thinking that, that'd be nice. Are you desperate for people to love Jesus? Or are you glad that this new church works for you and you like kind of where it's at? Are you someone who genuinely cares for your neighbours? Or do you just like the fact that you've got a place where you can belong on a Sunday and during the week? Are you wanting more and more people to be reconciled to God? Or is it 50 or 60 or so people, just about enough people that you want to be reconciled to God and have a relationship with Trinity South Coast was started because of this mission heart of God's. And I reckon, and I pray, and what I've seen, I have no doubt, you're just getting started. That this is just the beginning of seeing what God's going to do. Because you want to have this heart of his when you think about what's happening, when you hear the word evangelism or when you hear the word about an evangelistic series, you don't sigh and think, here we go again, I've been to so many evangelistic talks and services and events, but you think, maybe this time God's Spirit will work in the heart of someone. I will invite that person. I will talk to them. Christmas time isn't just a time to enjoy with your family. It's a time of opportunity where maybe some people who will never go into any meeting of God's people might come into this gym auditorium. Maybe those sermon postcards about judges you printed that there is someone who you could invite and who would like to come. You know, there has been research that said that people would come to church more if they were just asked. (laughs) But often Christians just don't ask. Are your community groups closed or small groups, whatever you call them? Are they closed so that you can read the Bible together, encourage one another, but you're not even thinking about those out there, including someone in your group or praying in your groups that you can have conversations or that others are talking with family, friends, workmates? See, at TNA, what I've missed out over the last few weeks and what I'm going back to is uh, we've started... uh, a kind of mission time called The Problem with Christianity. 
And what we've challenged all our people to do and what we've been trying to do is ask at least five people, what do you think the problem with Christianity is? And um, one of our guys put up a really simple website and we're putting on all their responses on the website and uh, Stephen, the senior minister, and I, for three weeks, are going to preach on whatever those top three topics are, which is kind of a little bit scary, but that's all right, we're going to do it. And you know what we've discovered, and I've discovered? One, this mission heart is hard when you talk about doing it. Even, I, I still kind of go, oh, maybe I won't ask the question this time. I get that. I totally get that. But you know what we've discovered? People don't mind generally answering. And if they don't, they just say, I'm not interested, and you move on. What we discovered with that one is... It's such a negative question, we wanted, is it too negative? But what the brilliance of it happened to be, which I didn't realise was, when you ask something, uh, someone a question like that, people love talking about negative things. And so because they love talking about negative things, they'll give you a response and it ends up being a positive conversation. Whatever mission, whatever conversations you look for, however you go in these uh, weeks and years at Trinity South Coast... The question you have to ask your heart, the final question, do I want my heart to be shaped into being like God with a passion for people? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, make us more like you. How could we embrace the grace of Jesus into our own lives and ignore the many people who need it? Give us grace and compassion, not just in how we think and feel, but in how we live. Father, I pray that these wonderful people at Trinity South Coast will always be on mission because you are always on mission. We long for the day when the mission stops and we have eternity with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.